it's the intention of the session and the pastor of Hill City Church to look to a greater degree just what it is that we truly believe as Christians. And we feel that an in-depth study of the Apostles' Creed started last week is, is the appropriate way to go about this. I was part of a study on the Apostles' Creed at the Chester ARP Church last spring in 2019. And we found that there were uh, people who were a part of this, under, uh, of this ch uh, study in Chester that they really understood what they believed. And they wanted to learn in a more complete way, in ways that perhaps maybe they had not considered the creed before. That was our goal. You see, the Chester Church repeats the creed each and every week during the, uh, the service. It's a process that I would like to see us do more often. But what Clint Davis, the pastor of the church, and I found was that nearly everyone looked at the creed as more or less just another box to be checked off to go through our order of worship each and every week. I mean, people knew the Apostles' Creed by head, okay? They could zip it off with no problem. They could repeat it without blinking. But they didn't know it by heart. For those of us here, we may have a few different categories of people. We, we may have some who don't know the creed, couldn't begin to tell you the first word of it without reading it. That's okay. Again, this is something that I want to change for us over the coming months. But we don't say it so often that we lose sight of what it means, if that makes sense. Others may be able to recite it, but they, they've known it for years. But maybe, like the folks in Chester, they really haven't stopped to think about what they're actually saying. We, your session and I, want us to change that thinking. Then maybe there's folks who have a good solid understanding of what the Apostles' Creed is saying and may even have an actually deeper understanding than most people do. That's okay too. We can all learn together on different levels. That's, the, that's what we're wanting to do here. We're wanting to learn together. Now last week it was established that the basic premise of our beliefs all centers around the first few words. I believe in God the Father. Now if you don't have a good understanding of what that means, you missed last week. If possible, go back and, and listen to Kirk's sermon from last week. Was it recorded? Okay, good. So we've got it. Okay, needs to be posted. Uh, this is, I mean, what Kirk was talking about last week is foundational to everything else that we're going to be talking about in the Apostles' Creed. These are going to be note-taking sermons, almost Bible study material, if you will, just like we had in Chester. And you'll build from week to week on, on what you've learned from the previous week before. This week we're going to look at the simple statement of who God the Father is, maker of heaven and earth. Our scripture reading was almost not worth standing up for in terms of its length. And yet these words, these ten or so words, are at the beginning of the Word of God for a reason. You know, the simple statement that I have seen on bumper stickers and have for a long, long time, it's, I believe, very appropriate for this one single thought, if nothing else. The Bible says it, I believe it, 
that settles it. For many, that, that's all that's needed. Oh, if it only were that simple for all of us. There, there have been arguably two basic premises upon which creation has been viewed over the years, and we want to break those down over the next couple of minutes. There's the scientific approach, the secular view we might could say. Creation's always been, and that's that. No need to ask any more questions. If you do, the water begins to get muddied. But maybe, just maybe, for argument's sake, for grins, let's say, at some point, maybe creation wasn't around. Maybe there really was nothing at one point in time. Well, then how did it come to be? Well, simple, some say. There was a coming together of energy and matter. Some call it the Big Bang Theory. Scientists love that answer if you just left it at that. But at some point, the question begs to be asked, if that's the case, where'd all that stuff come from? And that's where the headaches begin. This is where we can break the answer down a little bit with, with different viewpoints here, okay? The atheistic view, for instance, would simply tell you it's just been around by, and by chance it all came together. Charles Darwin's theory of evolution came into this thought. Doesn't answer where it all came from, though. In fact, all earthly answers to the beginning of creation will not give you a clear, concise answer to where did all that mass that caused the creation of all things, where did it all come from? I believe in God the Father, maker of heaven and earth. There's a view called the dualistic approach. There's a little bit of Gnosticism in here, okay? You got the, the evil being the, the, the material things. You've got good being spiritual. This comes from Greek philosophy, and, and simply put, there is a spiritual and a material realm. God is spiritual. He used the matter that, that already existed to create everything. Problem here, again, is God created that matter. So that theory gets shot down pretty quickly. The pantheistic view, here's one for you, basically believes that both the infinite and the finite are merely different parts of God's existence. In other words, the material world is evidence of God's spiritual reality. God is everything and everything is God. Problem here is that the view eliminates creation. God's sovereignty is ruled out as well. Everything just is because God just is. That's the view. Everything we see is God. In essence, worship a tree right here. Worship one of the chickens right over there. And you're worshiping God. Thomas Jefferson believed in this kind of theology, if, as it were. And lastly is the theistic view. This is what we believe. God created everything... I'm going to teach you some Latin. Ex nihilo. Does anybody know what that means? Out of nothing. Absolutely. You see, the worldly views are all just that. They're world focused with little to no emphasis on the power of God. Now, why are these views, these things, why are they created? Some folks will simply say, well, just because. Others will say, well, it's just always been that way. That's why. 
Now, if I ask you if you've ever heard an answer like that, did it just make you want to say, well, okay, that explains it good enough for me. See ya. No. Some even believe that, that we created God because, God because we needed a higher power to believe in. Thomas Aquinas believed in something along these lines. It allowed humanity to be the ultimate fountain of everything. And because we created God, we created emotions, love. We created our spirituality. We created everything. But you see, we all have within us an innate desire to look to a higher being. And it's because of that desire we believe God started it all. Now, if you look at cultures who have never heard of God, you're going to find evidences that they believe in, in one that they cannot see that gives them a reason for being. It gives them a reason for being disciplined, for living within some form of law, whatever that structural law might look like, whether that's a moral law or, or whatever else. But it also, for many of these cultures, it gives them hope in something after this life. We as Christians believe inherently that there is a Creator who has brought all things into being. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Look further. Book of John, chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through Him, and apart from Him, nothing came into being that did come into being. If you look at our church fathers almost 500 years ago, when they wrote the Confession of Faith, look at chapter 4. It's titled, Of Creation, to see what they said. It pleases God the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost for the manifestation of the glory of His eternal power, wisdom and goodness in the beginning to create or make of nothing the world and all things therein, whether visible or invisible, in the space of six days, and all of it was very good. You see, they're dead on the money right there. We couldn't improve on something like that. This particular part of chapter 4 of our Confession of Faith covers a vast number of subjects that, that could be preached about for a very long time. Now, He not only made everything out of nothing. Look at Genesis 2 verse 7. He made man, the physical being, what you and I see today, He made man out of His creation, out of the dust of the ground, not out of nothing this time, okay? Go back a bit to chapter Genesis 1, 26 and 27, and we see God made man in our image, meaning He, Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit were all there. That should take away the notion Jesus was created by God. That's another subject for the creed another few days down the road. But God created man and woman in His image and gave them the breath of life. Now, that term, the breath of life, this is one of two places that the breath of life of God is given in, in uh, two places. Anyone want to take a guess as to where you might find the other, where God breathed life into a, an object? John 20. Nope. 
2 Timothy 3.16. Into His Word. You see, He gave us life in two different ways. He gave it to us physically, and He gave it to us through His Word spiritually. Moving on, Isaiah 45, verse 8. It alludes to the fact, and Brett talked about this, He made salvation and righteousness as well. Part of His perfection, all under the umbrella of making His creation ex nihilo, out of nothing. Now, when we say maker of heaven and earth, what do we mean? There, there are further implications as to how we believe what we believe, or that we believe in God the Father when we say maker of heaven and earth. Because God is maker of heaven and earth, we should realize God's sovereignty over all things. He is omniscient. He is all omnipresent. He is all-powerful. He made it all. It is His. He is ruler and authority over it all. When we think of God, though, what do we do? What do you and I do when we think about God? We try to bring Him into our terms, don't we? Into ways we think we can understand God better. Making Him more human, for instance. Yes, He created us in His, in his image. But is He the grandfather uh, sitting on this big old white throne with a long white beard and a kindly smile? No! When I was young, I, I was made to think, and this might have been through my own thinking, I honestly don't remember. At 69, I don't remember yesterday, so in my childhood, you know, you, you younger folks, you'll not understand that. But I, I was made to think that it was God had more of a maniacal look about Him with His hands on the, the handle of a door that would open up and, and swallow me whole when sending me directly to hell when I died because I didn't ask for forgiveness for all of my sins. I was told that if I didn't ask for forgiveness for every one of my sins, I was a goner. I knew sins of commission. We commit sins, right? We know those things. What blew my mind was the sins of omission. Not only did I have to worry about the things that I did, I got to worry about the things I didn't do. Now, how do you deal with that? How in the world? What that did... When I heard that and the way it was presented to me, if you don't ask for forgiveness for all your sins, you're going to hell, it turned me away from the church and it turned me away from God for a very, very long time. But you see, He's neither one of those things. If we try to depict God as anything more than our sovereign Father and Creator of all, we are boxing God in. We're making him smaller than God actually is. God's not those things that we try to make him out to be. Our minds just can't handle that kind of greatness. God's not dependent on us for his survival, nor does he need to try uh, for us to try to explain away to others who doubt his presence. He knows us all inside and out. He knew us before we were born. He'll know us after we leave this planet. Jeremiah 1.5 tells us, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. Now, I don't know about you, but that's mind-boggling to me. 
But look at the last part of, of Jeremiah 1, 5, and it says, I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Now, he's talking about Jeremiah here. Or is he? Could he be talking to us as well? That's another subject for another day. The all-wise, all-knowing God knows us from the beginning to after the end of our lives. It boggles the mind if you, if you think about it. Many try to belittle God by saying that we are our own universe. We make our own decisions. We are the captain of our ship. They try to take the sovereignty of God right out of God's hands and put it into their own hands. We as humans have been trying to do that since the beginning of man's time here upon earth. But you see, God is so much bigger than that. The love that He has for us is far greater than we could ever imagine either. We'll talk about that in the coming weeks as well. Maker of heaven and earth. Go back to Genesis 1 just a minute. Look at what the Bible says concerning the formation of what we can comprehend. Light and dark, land and sea, and so on. The Bible says X was done on X day. Man says, oh, no, 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 no. It took millions and billions of years for X to be done. Let me give you an example. Verse 5 of chapter 1 of Genesis says, night, uh, Day and night, light and dark, were created on day one. Okay? On day one. Let's look quickly at Acts 28, verse 13. The next day in the south wind, the south wind came up, and on the following day we reached Puteoli. Now, what makes us think that the word day in Genesis 1 is any different than the word day in Acts 28? Hard to perceive, is it not? For us to be able to, to have all of these things made the way they were. For us as rational humans, it is very difficult for us to be able to get a grasp on. And yet, Mark 9, 23, Jesus tells us anything is possible for one who believes. For God, this is not out of the realm of possibility. Why? Because we believe He created the heavens and the earth out of nothing. And if He can do that, by golly, He can create day and night in a day. He can create land and sea in a day. He can do anything in the amount of time that He wants to. John 1, 3, through Him all things were made. Now, why did He create all of this? so that we might have a fairy land to exist in and, and be able to, to view all the wonders He made and so that we can ooh and ah over everything that He made. God didn't need to impress us. He didn't make the creation so that we might be happy. The purpose of creation is for the glory of God. Psalm 19, verse 1, The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim His handiwork. Isaiah 43, 7 says that everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. The manifestation of God's glory is not intended to be an empty show and tell. He created all of this so that we might tune our heart to praise and honor Him for what He has done. It's through our praise and worship of God we show our love and our gratitude to Him for it all. 
Remember, we worship the Creator, not the created. We should have that same attitude as, as one of my Bible heroes, Job, had. If you look at Job 42.2, he says this about God. I know you can do all things. No plan of yours can be thwarted. And of course, he's, he means being thwarted by his creation. When God created the heavens and the earth, he saw that it was good. But when he created man in his own image, what did he see? He saw it was very good. He loved us that much. His desire was to commune with us in the garden and be with him and us with his in his creation. Of course, we know how that worked out. Not too good. We tried to be like God, to know the things that he knows, to be as wise as our creator. We've been trying to do that ever since. It's the basic reasoning behind bringing God down to our size, to try to humanize God. We know we'll never know what God knows. Can't happen. So our only alternative is to try to shrink God down to our size. And yet to understand our place and all that, we need to simply look again at Genesis 1.1. If we see God as maker of heaven and earth through that lens, every time we repeat the Apostles' Creed, I pray that it gives us not so much a new perspective on these words, but it gives us a better understanding of who God is and maybe, more importantly, just who we are. Let's pray. Father, we thank You again. We praise You again for all that You've done for us, all that You do for us. You have made all things, and we truly believe that. We thank You, God, for the privilege of worshiping You, to see the glory, the wonders that You have made, not to impress us, but so that we might praise you for all that you've done for us. Bless us to that end with a greater understanding of who you are, God the Father, maker of heaven and earth. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me...